what were your overall thoughts of the game and how you guys performed today? Uh, I think right now just it hurts. Uh, it hurts, uh, and we should remember that feeling because I, I think. You know, we're going to run into them again here down the line. I don't know when, but when we're going to do, we're going to remember tonight. And we're going to have a, a response next time we play them. That's kind of what's in my head right now. Huge divisional game. Uh, chance for first, but we worked hard for the last couple of weeks to put ourselves in that position. So it just uh, hurts that much, more, that much more when we lose. But um, we're going to use that next time we play Welcome back into Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Superbook Sports. JJ Drez here, Arif Dean, and we just heard from Lars Eller following the 4-2 loss to the Minnesota Wild. A lot on the line in that game, and Arif, last week we talked about how upset the team was after losing to the Pittsburgh Penguins. I think they were probably twice as upset considering what was up for grabs last night uh, against the Wild. Yeah, second Wednesday in a row that the Avalanche had a chance on national television to win a game and leap Minnesota slash Dallas slash whoever to be first in the Central for the first time all season, by the way. And second Wednesday in a row, they come up short. Yeah, I mean, you can hear it in Lars Eller's voice, right? Not only what he said, but how he said it. I mean, he was genuinely upset, genuinely rattled. I mean, you're the one that had the little one-on-one there. I went off and talked to Bo and Byram, a little bit of Miko Ranton, and after that game. So I guess kind of give me the vibe of, of having that one-on-one with Lars Eller because my um, interviews were a little bit more scrum style. You don't get quite that same vibe from a player when, when you got multiple people around them. Which is why I wanted to go to Lars. As soon as he scored that second goal, I decided I was going to talk to him win or lose because I felt like, you know, the usuals are the people that everybody usually goes to and the scrum style isn't, it doesn't come off as well. I mean, the best interview that I've had this year from a post game was Nathan McKinnon when Kel McCarr got called for the, uh, that interference penalty at the blue line on the power play, the same one that Minnesota took yesterday on the Avs. When Kale McCarr got called for that and the Avalanche ended up losing that game, everybody wanted to talk to Kale. I went to talk to Nate about it, and he was just so great with explaining what happened and how he disagreed with it and how there's inconsistency on it. So, like, those one-on-ones, you get players to really open up. So I I just decided, you know what, Lars Ellers is a different voice. It's not someone I talk to often. I talked to him, obviously, when he was first acquired, chatted with him a couple times at practice, but that's about it. So when I went to him and I asked him that first question that, that audio you guys just heard, literally all I asked him was, what were your overall thoughts on the game and how you guys performed? And he went right into that. His his lip was quivering. He was still on that adrenaline rush. And uh, he was really pissed. Like he was angry, you could tell. And it wasn't like anger of like they, you know, cheap shot at us and dirty players. And like, it wasn't even that. It was like they beat us and we're embarrassed and we're angry about it. And, and that's the feeling that I got from him the entire way. And he kept repeating it. Like he was doing that thing that people do where he like licks the inside of his like cheek, like, you know, that tough guy lick and like was just so upset. And the adrenaline was still there. You know, they had just come off the ice like 90 seconds before. Literally tongue in cheek. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we heard from Jared Bednar. He, he really put it on the players and the team itself, right? The, the direct yeah. quote I like that he said is just that it's on us. We heard him bring up passengers again, and it sounded like 
Uh, there were a handful of guys early on in that game that he just didn't like what they were bringing to the table. Um, you know, who knows what the factors are for, for, I guess, that lack of execution, that lack of intensity to start the game. But I guess let's just look at usage, time on ice. Who, who do you think Jared Bednar was referring to as the passengers that perhaps he just wasn't pleased with and maybe even pointing the finger a little bit at? I love playing this game. Who had a little bit of time on ice, and it's probably the reason. One of them that sticks out to me right away is Dennis Malgin. It's not just his ice time of 634, but it's the fact that he just didn't have a good game. He wasn't that good. Matt Nieto wasn't that good. Lars Zeller obviously had a goal, um, but his goal was assisted on a nice play by Devon Tave. So Eller, I don't know where he was with him, but Eller also had four shots. You know, He was in the play a little bit, but I think Eller's wingers were a little bit of an issue. Um I also kind of personally believe that Evan Rodriguez didn't have that good of a game, but obviously he played 17 minutes because he's in the top six right now. Uh, Alex Newhook was okay, but he can't catch a break and friggin' find the back of the net, this guy. Um, so it could have been any number of guys because he did he did specify and went out of his way to specify that he didn't feel like it was the top guys that were the issue. Uh, so the guys that stick out to me are the Malgans, the Nietos, and, and uh, the Rodriguez's. Uh, I mean, the errors were so slim, right? And I think, you know, yeah. I, I don't often throw respect this way, but DMAC had a great question following the games, just saying, is this a game a perfect example of how slim the margins are, right? You, yeah. you you make an error here, you pay for it. You make an error there, you pay for it. And that's exactly what you saw, right? And and I saw it from the top guys. I mean, let's look at that first goal. Alexander Georgiev making a turnover, a, a mistake that's probably out of character for him, lets yeah. up the ensuing goal. We saw a McCard turnover that led to a goal, a McKinnon turnover that led to a goal. So I saw the top, top guys making some mistakes, not to say that they were having a bad game or being the passengers by any means, but it was just a sloppy game overall from, from a lot of the guys, not just the depth players, not just Morgan Nieto. I think top down, it, it, nobody brought their A-plus game. like they Yeah, did. I mean, look, when you're playing catch-up hockey, that's what's going to happen. And and uh, I don't consider one goal deficits really catch-up hockey. That's just, you know, the next play decides a lot. But when you're trailing by two goals, especially entering the third period against a team with a goalie with a 932 safe percentage, yeah, it's catch-up hockey. And you saw that from the Avalanche, you know, even when they were generating, even when guys like McKinnon and McCarr were rolling in the third period where they outshot them 19 to four with one of those four shots being the empty net goal. Uh, even during that stretch, you still saw a lot of fumbled pucks. You saw a lot of the Avalanche playing with that stress factor of we're down a goal. We're down two goals. we got to find a way to get something going here. So even when they were pushing at their best, it still wasn't the loose at their best avalanche that we're used to because of that two goal deficit where the doubt starts to settle in against the team that has one regulation loss in 21 games after that victory against the Avs, which is wild, literally the Minnesota wild. They're unbelievable right now. Um, and their goalie is red hot. So uh, even, you know, even at their best, they weren't really their best. I thought it was interesting what Jared said, because he said, uh, like you said, the first part of his quote was as a group, as a whole, to start the game, they were more competitive than we were. I felt like we had some passengers for the first period plus. And when you're playing a game like this, like a playoff style game, you can't have passengers. And then he went on to say, our top guys know how much we lean on them. I thought they played hard tonight. It wasn't our top guys that I was concerned about. So it is interesting how he looks at it. The Kel McCarr play was just a terrible you know, read, which again, just uncharacteristic of Kale. The G Georgiev play was very uncharacteristic. 
Uh, and then Sam Steele won a, won a battle in front of the goal and beat Georgiev for their third goal. Yeah, I mean, it's a game of mistakes, right? That's hockey, so you, you can't really point the finger at Kale McCarr for making a turnover that leads to a goal. Um, yeah, and, and like you mentioned, their goalie was phenomenal last night. I think Gustafson had a really good game, really kind of, I guess, making a, a statement when it comes to the goalie situation up there in Minnesota. But let's let's dive into the passenger concept a little more. I mean, ever since Jared Bednar got here, it's a word he likes to use, right? And I don't know, it feels like a, a, a at a point, you know, as the coach, he has to kind of ensure that there are no passengers getting ready for the game, right? And then I, I'm also kind of curious about once he does kind of realize that there are some passengers playing or, you know, kind of locates them, is it a, a, a situation, do you think, where he addresses it on the bench, says, hey, you're looking real slow, or does he just simply sit him, say, you're not bringing it tonight, we're going to keep your use limited? Obviously, that's probably a question for Bednar, but I yeah. I had my wheels were turning last night as he's sitting here diving into the passengers. And I just it, it's been five years to to still have passengers in a game that matters this much. I just wonder where the uh, communication was broken. Yeah. And I'm not going to do the thing, not that you're doing this, but I'm not going to do the thing where I'm going to blame Jared for that. I don't think that. I think it's impossible to ever, and this is something that happens with the Tampa Bay Lightning too. You know, we saw them bench Steven Stamkos, Brandon Point, and Nikita Kucherov for an entire third period of a game where they got where they responded by coming out the next game and getting shut out six nothing and having a full <laughs> period, a full freaking period without a shot on goal against Carolina Hurricanes. That was the response to the benching. So I don't want to do the thing where it's like, well, Jared Bednar can't get this team ready to play. Like eventually it's on the players. What I love about Jared is it's not on the players. It's on us. He always includes himself with the team, which is what good leaders do, which is what leaders in this generation know you have to do to get through to your guys. So, you know, Jared has a lot of expectations and a, and a high standard for himself and for his team. We saw it in the beginning of the season, you know, whenever the Avalanche would have a bad game <clears throat> back in October, excuse me, it wasn't, you know, where the defending Stanley Cup champs will figure this out. It was, look, we played a bad game this this morning and we expect our, or this, uh, this evening and we expect ourselves to be better than that. So I love the high standard and the high expectations he has for himself and his team. But it is ultimately impossible. You know, we've heard Nathan McKinnon say it over and over again. It's 82 games. We play a lot of games, a lot of back-to-backs. You're not always going to have your best night. And that's the realest thing Nathan can say. Because usually your star players don't say that. You sit there and you expect Nathan McKinnon is this bull of a man who's going to come out 82 times a year. Not that he's ever healthy all 82 games, but he's going to come out all 82 times. And he's going to play his ass off. And he's going to go into the playoffs and he's going to will his team to another cup like the reality is that is just not how it goes. So the issue to me is the unfortunate issue. I should say is they knew how big this game was just like Pittsburgh. And you saw it in the way that they reacted after the loss. Like you said, the locker room against Pittsburgh. And then again, against Minnesota, there was an aura to it that you don't often see in losses. So, you know, and it kind of sucks. We weren't in, in the dressing rooms last year because I would have loved to see how they would have reacted to losses. Let's say game five against Tampa or game five against St. Louis would have loved to feel that energy in the locker room to see how it was. Mm -hmm. But obviously we can't compare it to that because we were, we didn't have that access last year, but what you can see from the way that they reacted was they didn't take the loss lightly. They knew it was an important game, but for one thing or one reason or another, there were guys that didn't have their best effort in the biggest game. And that's the unfortunate part. 
I would say the difference between the vibe in the locker room after the Pittsburgh loss and last night's loss. After Pittsburgh, it felt like anger. The team was angry. Last night, it felt like disappointment. Like they let themselves down, right? Whereas Pittsburgh, they didn't really feel so much like they are the ones that shot themselves in the foot. Um, but like you, you look at that first power play from each team, right? The, the Avalanche had a power play early, just sloppy. Didn't yeah. look good. Then Minnesota steps in on the power play. They're whipping the puck around, making it look like, you know, they were ready for this penalty kill unit and they had a, a good game plan settled for uh, the power play. So I don't know if it's just pre- preparation. I don't know if it's just the players not bringing it. Part of me even wonders about the Mile High Sports Gala, right? I'm curious, what is the Avalanche record after the Mile High Sports Gala? Uh, I'm not saying that's the at fault here, but, you know, something to consider, something Mile. to look at. Mile High Dreams Gala. I don't think our company. Oh, the Mile High Sports Gala is that what I called it? Yeah, I don't think our company's hosting. Maybe the next year. Maybe next yeah. year. <laughs> We're not that big yet. We 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 got a podcast. That's about what we do. <laughs> the Mile High Dreams Gala. But yeah, I mean, look, it's it's the time of the year where every game, like you said, the margins are small. And what you saw in that game yesterday, look, the Avalanche played well. And this is the part where I'm going to throw a little positive spin into the game. Is the Avalanche played well. They had a very strong third period. They had a very strong second half of the second period, especially the last five, six minutes. They had a lot of opportunities where Gustafsson shut them down. Like the difference in that game yesterday, I did not see Georgiev make the saves that Gustafsson made. And he made five, six, seven of them. But here's the kicker. Georgiev didn't let in five, six, seven goals. He only let in three. So what that says to me, those golden opportunities, those high danger chances, Colorado outmatched Minnesota. They did. They outclassed them. And it was even before the third period where they were trying to really dig into the game because they were down by two goals. So what I saw from the Avs was a team that played really well, uh, but they were in a hole. And that was the problem was those the, the early start, the passengers in the beginning is what led to it. But in the grand scheme of things, the Avalanche had a strong game. And if Philip Gustafson makes one fewer saves... It's an entirely different story, and I know that that's a game of ifs, but ultimately the Avalanche did a lot of what they needed to do to win that game. They couldn't get the bounce. Miko Rantanen hit the post, but the funny thing is, despite all of that, which Jared did acknowledge, it wasn't on that. It was on, well, if we weren't playing terrible in the beginning, if we didn't have the passengers or the slow start or this or that, we could have won this game because we say this all the time, you know, whenever there's like a... Let's say, uh, you know, we hear it all the time in, in sports where it's like, you know, let's say you're winning three to nothing and then a team makes it three to two and then a missed call by the ref ends up leading to the game tying goal. And everybody's like, well, that's bullshit. We got we got beat by the refs. We got beat by a bad call. And then the response to that is always you shouldn't have even let it get to that point. And yeah. that's the problem with the Avs game yesterday. They let it get to the point where a goalie stonewalled them and they were already down two goals and they worked so damn hard for that Lars Eller goal, a sick feed from Devon Taves, mm-hmm. but they shouldn't have let it get to that point despite the fact that they were the better team for most of the night. Yeah, I guess more to that point, um, you know, when you have a game where Kale McCarr, Miko Ranton, and Nathan McKinnon combined for zero points, it's going to be a tough time. But had they scored, it would have been more of a bailout from the errors that they made, right? This was a game where the Avalanche made mistakes and they paid for them. Had they gotten goals from those top guys, it would have been them carrying 
all the weight and bailing the team out from from those mistakes rather than just leading the way and, and uh, you know, carrying the flag. And you can't expect those guys to put up two points each every single night. So at some point, you know, the depth kind of has to hold some of the water as well. So I and they and they tried. They were they, tried. they were right there. But the comfort line to me didn't do it, which, again, goes back to what I was saying about uh Rodriguez and about New Hook just having tough nights. Um, you know, maybe maybe lump JT Comfort into there. He wasn't the best. He wasn't terrible, but just that line in general. When you're missing Arturi Lekinen, it really ruins a lot of what this team has on the second line because they're already without Landeskog. Right. So that's kind of where I wanted to get to, to the next question: Is if you look at last night, do you feel like there were flaws exposed from the Avalanche, or it was just simply chalk it up as a as an off night? No, I mean, every team has flaws. And look, the Avalanche aren't that deep this year. Like, we know that. We know that the second line entering the playoffs without Gabe Landeskog is probably going to be some combination or variation of, like, Rodriguez, Comfer, and, you know, pick a guy, Nichushkin. Or maybe Lekkinen, Comfer, and Nichushkin, and that's because Rodriguez is playing with McKinnon, Rantanen. So it is a little bit of a, you know, not as deep a team, but you know what, man, every team has this. Do you know who the very strong and amazing Toronto Maple Leafs that we keep talking about all the moves they made at the deadline and the depth and the depth and the depth, who their top six wingers are to go along with Nylander, Tavares, Marner, and Matthews are? It's Michael Bunting and Callie Yarncroft. So every team has it. Every team has that. What the Avalanche had last year, that's not normal. Look at the Tampa Bay Lightning. The Tampa Bay Lightning lost... Ryan McDonough and Andre Palat, and now they're replacing them with guys like Perbix and Cole, you know, Ian Cole, the guy that used to play here. Like it's, you're going to have teams that look like that. The difference, what you saw yesterday and why you just chalk it up as a tough loss is the Avalanche made one too many mistakes and their top guys couldn't get one goal. And not that, like you said, we have to rely on McKinnon, Miko and Nate to get uh, McKinnon, Miko, and Nate. McKinnon, Miko, and Kale to get two points every single night. But a goal would have been nice in a game like that. And again, I'm not putting it on them, but they were shut down. And when your top guys are shut down and outscored two to nothing slash three to nothing when you include the empty netter, so they were all a minus three. But when your top guys are shut down like that and you give up a shorthanded goal, that's a lot of things you got to dig back from. And Technically, the two shorthanded goal, goals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, like uh, before the empty netter, before the empty netter, your top guys were outscored two to nothing and uh, your top guys let in a shorthanded goal. And when those two things happen, it's tough to come back from. Yeah, the margins are so small. There could have been one or two plays different yesterday where the Minnesota Wild podcasts are the ones talking like we're talking right now. Like that's all it could have taken was if. Freddie Goudreau did not have that breakaway on shorthanded play and the Avalanche instead scored on that power play. Well, now they went 3-2. Now the Minnesota Wild podcast is talking about how that Bowen Byron breakaway shouldn't have happened. 10,000 lakes, 10,000 takes. That's what I would name the podcast if I, I was in Minnesota. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you said it kind of ex exactly when you were talking about Georgiev, right? Not that he played a bad game by any means, but a couple of the things he did were the difference in the game. And maybe if he was just a little bit sharper, they wouldn't have happened, but not necessarily, you know, wow, we got to re-examine re Georgiev and maybe even sit him in the next game because he really messed that game up. No, he didn't look like himself, but he wasn't, you know, the determining factor in the game. Yeah, no, absolutely not. And he didn't need to be for most of it. Like he didn't face a lot of action, but when he did and when there was a lot going on in front of him, you know, you saw there was a lot of, 
coughed up pucks, loose rebounds. Like he didn't look as sharp. And you know what? That could very well be one of the guys that Jared's talking about. That's a passenger. The goalie is part of the team. And we often try to separate the two, but he is part of the team. And Jared likes to remind us of that all the time. And that could be one of the guys he's talking about as well. Yeah. I mean, kind of the back to the got to play a full 60 conversation, right? I mean, the first period is really where they lost the game. The second period was a wash. And the third period, you liked the push and the momentum the Avalanche were building. Just like you said, Miko Rantanen hitting the crossbar, missing the net a couple times, just weren't able to, to beat Gustafson. But I like what I saw in that third period. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, they they really outclassed the wild in that period. And that's often what happens when you're the team trailing by two goals. But the Avalanche proved again that they can do it. They do have the talent to do it. Despite the, all the guys that they're still missing, you would have loved to have Josh Manson yesterday. You would have loved to have Arturi Lekkinen yesterday. Those are two very reasonable guys in your lineup that you expect to be back here at some point. Um, but you didn't. And despite that, you lost the one goal game and gave up an empty netter. Yep. Indeed. Indeed. Um, and of course, even Minnesota was playing a little shorthanded, right? No Kaprasov, no Ryan Reeves. Yeah. They're that's quote unquote that's, second string goal. Yeah, I that, think Ryan Reeves makes that's an a, impact, man. Yeah, but not not especially the against extent, the Avalanche. Not to the extent of of any. He's a game breaker. It's not <laughs> Kaprizov is a different category. I just think you know Ryan Reeves knows how to get under the Avalanche's skin. Uh, who knows what the playoff s- setting actually looks like? But if he's uh not around, it benefits the Avalanche. For I sure. I don't. I don't think that's entirely true. Like, what did he do in the Vegas series? He pulled Ryan Graves' hair and got suspended. Like, that that's not why the Avalanche lost. And then he came back last year with the Rangers and fought Curtis McDermott. Like, hooray, the two enforcers fought. Like, I just don't think... This goes back to the Curtis McDermott conversation. I know Ryan Reeves has more skill than Curtis. But those guys are not that important. They are at times. They are in some ways. But they are in the way of it's nice to have Curtis in the lineup when you know Reeves is on the other side going to try to run around and you know get to your guys's get under your guys's skin. But there, if there's no Reeves, there's no McDermott. If there's no McDermott, there's you don't need Reeves. So what came first, the chicken or the egg? Do the Minnesota Wild play Reeves and the Avs respond with McDermott, or do the Minnesota Wild say, "Oh, they're not playing McDermott. Let's not play Reeves." So like, it just doesn't strike me. Again, I go back to that Vegas series and a lot of talk around Ryan Reeves. He was nowhere near the reason why the avalanche lost that series i know but there's also um you know an unmeasurable to speak of when it comes to a guy like ryan reeves and that's the the locker room presence right i mean just simply having him in a dressing room brings everybody up maybe brings everybody's confidence up a little bit and maybe even you know plants a seed in their head like hey we're playing a tough game tonight so we're playing it top to bottom not just me out here no no that's totally fine and i get that and i understand that but they have a lot of guys that do that anyway they got the Ryan Hartman's help. Marc-Andre Fleury does that. And I know Marc-Andre Fleury is a goalie and a goalie that didn't play yesterday, but he's still that locker room presence that I mean, gets his team up. Even little Jared Spurgeon was playing like a, a maniac last night. There's I mean, a he's, reason, got, he's got a nastiness to his game that I was like. The liking. reason why Jared Spurgeon is the captain of that team, he's a, he's a, he's not a little guy. He's a short guy, but he's built like a dump truck <laughs> and is just a big, like he's a, he's a very thick dude that plays a very thick style game like Dmitry Orlov. Yeah, he plays he plays like a prick, right? I, I like those prick style players. Um let's take a quick pause, guys. Superbook sports. I mean, what what a what a time we're living in when you can just 
take action on any sport across the world at any time. So make 2023 the year that you beat Vegas. Superbook Sports gives you the chance every week to go head-to-head with the best odds makers in Las Vegas. No fancy computer algorithms, no guys across the pond setting lines for American sports, just the best team of odds makers in the business behind the counter at the Superbook in Las Vegas. Plus, Superbook features some of the best odds, boosts, and promo bets anywhere. So download the Superbook Sports app or visit superbook.com and start your battle against Vegas right now. Visit superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. I mean, going head-to-head against the best odds makers sounds a little bit scary, right? I mean, those odds makers are unreal at what they do and setting lines and over-unders and spreads. So um, it's always a challenge, but there's nothing more fun, in my opinion, than throwing a little a little sprinkle of uh, some dollars and some cents on on your favorite sports. Yeah. You know, what's more hard than going up against the odd makers. It's doing what I just did of comparing Jared Spurgeon to being as thick and as big as someone like Dimitri, Dimitri. Ormond, where as soon as I said that, I was like, wait, no, that sounds a little off. Cause I remember Orlov when he was here with the caps. And I remember seeing Spurgeon at morning skate yesterday and looked it up. Dimitri Orlov is 214 pounds. Jared Spurgeon is 166. It's about a 50-pound difference. <laughs> so not quite the same, but play a same style game. What is Bowen Byram weighing in at? That's a good question. That's a player that I could still see putting on some weight. Like, remember McKinnon, his rookie season, just looked like a young 18-year-old. Not that Bo is 18 anymore, but he's listed at 6'1", 190. 190. That seems generous. Um, I mean, I'm 6'2", 195, and I feel like Bo is a lot tinier than i am right <laughs> not five pounds and one inch tinier like he just seems like a way smaller guy and it may just be because we see him on the ice around other behemoths like i i i fawn over this all the time but like when you see val nichushkin skate that dude is built like an aggressive hockey player when you see bowen byram skate it's quite the opposite <laughs> but he's he plays like an aggressive hockey player which is what you love about him Absolutely. I think he's maybe one guy you can definitely point to as not being a passenger last night. Sure, he got the yeah. penalty uh, early in the game, but what does he do with it? Puts it behind him, pops out of the box, and buries a goal. And and that goal, I mean, yeah, he's on a breakaway. Yeah, he's one on with the goalie, but with that kind of pressure and that kind of, hey, we really need this goal right now and his ability to just make an easy move look even easier and put that puck in the back of the net. I mean, I really loved Bowen Byram's game last night. Had everybody brought that same energy, that same mentality, that same intensity, I think it would have been a much different story. Yeah, absolutely. And and to kind of tiptoe off of that until who I just mentioned, Val Nichushkin, uh, season high 25-47 of ice time. He was all over the play as well. So that was another guy that you didn't feel like was a passenger. It would have been nice to see him bury one or set one up. But again, the top guys were shut down the top line. Yeah, and I mean, Bowen Byram, as of late, oh, he, he's been putting up points. We've had a couple goals out of him recently, and kind of exactly what he did last year, right? Towards the end of the year, each game, he got better and better and better and better. By the time the playoffs and the end of the playoffs were coming, he was a mainstay and, and kind of a household name across the NHL. So it yeah. seems like he's starting to get that same momentum again, that same confidence. And, um, you know, it, it's kind of the same story as last year, too, right? He had some time off from injury. Then finally, once he gets some consistency and playing time, he really builds off of it. It's, you know, you and I were just talking before we went on air about, you know, the next Bowen Byram contract. And it's such a fascinating contract to me because he's been stopped and started so many times that you just like 
Stanley Cup final, he was unbelievable. Stanley Cup playoffs, he was unbelievable, especially after the Gerard injury in the second round. Um, and he's got 10 goals in 36 games, and he's playing a great two-way game, but he's played 36 games, and it was the same thing last year. So, yeah, it's going to be a very fascinating contract extension this summer. All right, well, let's put that behind us. It's all you can do. Let's have a sh- short memory, and let's look ahead at Dallas, right? But just as important of a game coming up here Saturday night, Dallas coming into town, and Dallas luckily hasn't exactly been playing their best hockey. I mean, as we've seen in the last week and a half or so, they went from first in the, in the central to now they're hanging on to third. So um, I guess a, a good opportunity for the avalanche to bounce back, but you know, you, you're going to have to have another game with no passengers and everybody's going to have to start the game on time. This one. That's going to be a big one. And look, I know right now the avalanche are three points back of the Minnesota wild uh, for first place in the central. They still do have that game in hand. Um, but the division is not out of reach yet. It really isn't. And I know that's crazy to say, but the Minnesota Wild, we were talking to their beat writer yesterday. They've got a back-to-back coming up against the Vegas Golden Knights, who are the team that Minnesota is going to try to catch for first in the West so that they can get the lesser of the two wildcard teams. Um, but if Vegas splits with Minnesota or, or somehow wins both, but you know that's a little bit of a reach, I would say they split and the Avalanche beat Dallas. Well, now you're right back to, you know, one or two games in hand and one or two points behind and you're right back to being able to catch them. And especially if you can beat Dallas in regulation, the regulation win tiebreaker, you'll be tied with Minnesota. So a lot could still happen, but that just goes to show how important that game is against Dallas. The interesting thing to me, and we've noticed this all season, we've talked about it many, many times, but the record at Ball Arena this year is, is a little puzzling. Because right now the Avalanche on the road are listed as 24-11-1. One of those games is the game in Finland where both teams were on the road. So in an NHL setting on the road, the Avalanche are 23-11-1. At home, they are listed as 20-13-5. One of those games is Finland. Take that out. They are 19-13-5 at Ball Arena, which in other words is 19 wins, 18 losses at Ball Arena. It's really fascinating, especially after what they did a season ago. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, wins and losses are super important right now. But I think even more important is using this time as almost a preseason for the playoff season, right? I mean, you have in playoff intensity games like last night in Minnesota, yeah. probably another one coming up against Dallas, another one maybe against the Kings and Edmonton and yep. the Jets still down the line. So I think it's just going to be important to shake this. We had passengers idea and just be ready for playoff intensity style hockey because you don't want to come playoff game one and suddenly you're on your heels because you spent the last couple weeks kind of you know trying to figure out the uh the 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 mindset and the intensity you needed to bring to the game so i think that's got to be the number one goal is just making sure they're playing that full intensity game and, and starting right out of the gate Yeah, absolutely. And look, they're going to respond against Dallas. I'm not saying they're going to win, but they're going to come out flying like this team is not going to let. And and the the crazy part about the schedule is after playing so many games and so many nights, you know, Jared referenced it yesterday, 15 games in 26 days is just freaking insane. Um, But they have something now that they didn't have before, and that's a Thursday and a Friday off before they play again on Saturday. So two days off. And then after the game against Dallas, they have Sunday and Monday off before they play Tuesday in San Jose. So they've got two full days before game day again to stew on this loss. And you better believe if they lose to Dallas, they got two more games to stew on that game as well. 
but you don't want that to happen. You know that having that extra day off keeps the last game in your mind for an extra day. And you don't want that against the Dallas stars again. So you got to beat that team. You got to let these two days of stewing over Minnesota really help you win that next one. Yeah. And props to the schedule makers, right? Really making some important games here down the, the final 10 or so with, um, yeah. You know, with Minnesota and Dallas, and like you mentioned, Minnesota is about to go back to back with a Vegas uh, series here, and that's going to be very um, meaningful when it comes to the standings. But throwing in back to backs with San Jose for the Avalanche, I wonder if the schedule makers were thinking, "Oh, San Jose is going to be legit this year. Let's make <laughs> yeah, that." Yeah, that that one's a little bit funny, especially because you have Anaheim in there as well. So it's three games that the Avalanche really got to win. But uh, you want to know what's not funny next week? In their San Jose, San Jose, L.A. trip, 8.30 start, 8.30 start, 8.30 start, all three. You're yawning right now at 10.47. Imagine how you're <laughs> feeling at 8.30 at night. Uh, yeah, I'm going to take some pre- pre-game naps for those. Thankfully, we're not on the road for those, so I can actually enjoy a day in Denver and take a nap at home and then just turn on the TV while half asleep. You know, it's great. But uh, speaking of the schedule makers, there's something at the end of the season that really sticks out to me. The National Predators end their season against Minnesota, then Colorado. Colorado ends their season against Nashville, Winnipeg, or other way around, Winnipeg, Nashville. Basically, Nashville has the opportunity to help out one of the Avs or the Wild by defeating one and losing to the other. So if, you know, kind of like last week, the Pittsburgh Penguins, they beat the Avs. The very next night, they lost to the Stars. They held Dallas twice. So Nashville has the opportunity to do that. They have the opportunity to beat the Avalanche after losing to Minnesota or vice versa. Beat the, beat the Wild and then lose to the Avs. Meanwhile, the Avalanche play Winnipeg before they play Nashville, which is the team that they are fighting for, as in the Preds, for the last wildcard spot. So the Avalanche have the opportunity, basically, to beat the Jets, and the Preds have the opportunity to beat the Wild. Each team has helped the other out. Going into a game 82 where Colorado versus Nashville, for example, could be a game where Colorado is fighting for playoff positioning and Nashville is fighting for their playoff lives. They each helped each other in the previous game, and now they're going head-to-head for winner-take-all, winner wins what they want, which is higher positioning or a playoff spot. Or maybe it's a scenario where if it gets to overtime, they both get in. They could shake hands and say, all right, we're doing this. <laughs> like, it's just a very fascinating end to the schedule. And by the, you know, by then it could get away. The Wild could build a five, six point cushion or vice versa with the Avalanche or vice versa with Nashville, Winnipeg. Um, but until then, it's looking like it can shape up to be something like that. It's pretty fun. Great point. I love that you pointed that out and noticed that. And, you know, that's why I love this podcast. That's why I'm a big fan of, of your show. Um, yeah. So we'll see how all that shakes out. Exciting stuff. I mean, playoffs just around the corner. You can smell them. You can feel them. The vibe in Ball Arena. I mean, you knew playoffs are right around the corner. So getting geared up for that. Let's turn the corner here and talk about the latest signings that the Avalanche have made out of the NCAA. Jason Paulin out of Western Michigan and Sam Malinsky out of Cornell. Of course, both these guys captains. No surprises there. I almost think next year when the NCAA season starts getting going, let's just compile a list of NCAA free agent captains, and then we'll be able to to really narrow down who the Avs are looking at. Yeah, my favorite one of the one that the Avalanche have signed in the past is Logan O'Connor because it's a guy that I think he was named captain and then signed with the Avs before ever playing as a captain. Yep, yep. So he's like, all right, I passed the test of what Colorado looks for. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's really, really fascinating. I'm going to share a couple words on both of these guys, and it's not going to come from me. It's going to come from the Athletic who – 
about a month ago, did an article on all of the biggest names in college that are free agents from February 21st, this article is, and it gave a little bit of on, on each one. And I'm going to start with Poland because he was the first guy the Avalanche signed. So they got these guys split into three categories, this athletic article. They have projected to play NHL games, and then they have have a chance to play NHL games. And under the have a chance to play NHL games, it starts at number, let's see, the first five names are the top list, the projected to play. The have a chance starts at number six, and Jason Poland is way down at number 24. And what it says on him is Poland is a right wing on the top Western Michigan line. He's not as naturally skilled as McAllister, who he plays with, but he has a speed and compete level that could make him valuable as a pro. Plays a direct style, often takes pucks wide and to the net. He has good hands and scores a lot of goals the last two seasons in college. I do have some questions about how natural a play driver he is and whether he will have offense versus men. Men obviously being the bigger game in, in the NHL. Uh, Jason Poland leads the NCAA in goals right now. He's got 30. Second place is Adam Fantilli of the, of the Michigan Wolverines with 29. The reason why that matters is because Fantilli can still pass him because he's you know in the Frozen Four. One goal ties him, two goals passes him. So Poland basically is going to finish off either first or second or tied for first uh, in scoring for college hockey this year. So still in some ways, that's a big one for the Avalanche. Now, any comments on that before I get to Malinsky? No, no, keep it going. You're on a okay. Projected to play NHL game. So again, it starts at number one. It goes to five and then it switches to that second category. Starts at six. Poland is at 24 it goes all the way down to 30. So basically, these prospects are listed 1 to 30. Well, on this list, Sam Malinsky's number 2. Jason Poland was 24. Sam Malinsky is 2. Does that mean he's automatically going to be an NHLer and we should all get excited? No. Maybe Jason Poland ends up better than him. But what they have on Sam Malinsky, a right-handed defenseman out of Cornell, is Malinsky has been a top defenseman in college this season. He has excellent playmaking abilities. He makes a lot of difficult passes in the offensive zone and has the ability to run a pro power play with his vision and shot. His skating is solid too, and he can create with his skill and feet. Malinsky isn't the biggest defenseman, but he competes well enough that I think he has a shot to be a really good pro. And there's videos online. If you go on Twitter and you look up Sam Malinsky, this is for you, JJ, and for our listeners, there's videos of him towing that blue line, very Kel McCarr-esque with the way that he's shaking off you know, the defender and playing up against that blue line to create opportunities on the power play. So that's exactly what the athletic is talking about here, where they say that he can run a pro style power play. So he seems like a very skilled guy. He seems like the type of guy that um, they feel could be more of a pro. And, you know, the avalanche are probably going to have some, you know, turnover on their blue line here in the coming seasons. Makar and uh, not Makar, sorry, Taves and Byron both need new deals. Uh, are they going to sign both and, you know, potentially trade Gerard? Are they going to keep all three? Are they going to get rid of one of Bo and Taves? Like there's a lot of question marks there. And that doesn't even include the fact that Jack Johnson and Eric Johnson are both on the last legs of their careers. Um, you obviously still have Josh Manson. So there is going to be some turnover and someone like Sam Malinsky would be great to have step in if he can kind of develop into that player. He's 24 years old. So he's at the age where he should be there. I think there's two ways to to really look at these signings, and I think both have a, a bit of merit. I think the Avalanche definitely see potential, right? They see projects that are maybe a bit raw with a little bit of work, a little bit of coaching. Obviously, that's why they like the captains, very coachable guys, very professional mentalities. They can 
potentially turn this guy into an NHLer, right? See Ben Myers. I think that's the, definitely the, the thought process behind him. At the same time, we know how loose they've been with giving away their draft picks in recent years, right? So I see them yeah. trying to kind of cover up that mess a little bit by taking shots. I mean, I don't, I'm not saying they're, they're, you know, blind shots here, but I think they're hopeful shots that, Hey, let's, let's see if we can get this guy to pan out. And um, yeah, I think it, it's interesting that the avalanche are the ones that are constantly able to sign these guys, even though you might think that there's not too much room um, in the NHL lineup, but you know, I, I like the direction. At least it's, it's getting something in the farm system, something in the youth that they can develop and, you know, fill some holes down the line if need be. Well, you know what? It's the first part of what you said, because I remember for years and years and years, whenever we would get to this part of the season, Nick Benino was once a college free agent. There was Matt Gilroy. There was a lot of guys like that. Toronto had a bunch. Tyler Bozak was one from DU, I think, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. He went to DU. So these guys always end up on the good teams. And it used to always like make me question, like, why can't the Avs get one of these guys? And this is the Duchesne, O'Reilly, Stastny era of the Avalanche. It's like, why can't they get one of these guys? They have a lot more opportunity to play. But it's exactly the first part of what you said. The better teams trade off a lot of draft capital, so they need to offset it somewhere else, which is what the Avalanche did last year with Ben Myers. Again, he hasn't had a great season. Doesn't mean it's the end of the Ben Myers era, but we'll see. Um, So the best teams trade off a lot of draft capital, so they're finding ways to offset that. But the best teams are also going into situations kind of similar to Ben Myers where they're telling these free agents like, look, you're coming to a winning culture, you're coming to a winning team, and you're coming to us where Andre Burakovsky's position is going to be up for grabs next year because we're not going to be able to afford that. And lo and behold, Andre Burakovsky left after the Avalanche won the Stanley Cup. So it was the winningest of winning cultures for Ben Myers to sign with. And then Ben Myers couldn't grab a hold of that spot. So ultimately what you're doing is you're putting yourself in a position where you have more uh, lottery balls at the table, more people that can potentially grab those spots. And Sam Malinsky and Jason Pollan are two more guys like that. Are they going to be stars? No, but hey, Logan O'Connor was a college free agent and he's been pretty damn well for what you want from him. So he's not playing on the top line and, you know, turning into the next Val Nachushkin or, or something like that. Or mini Val. Or mini Val. <laughs> but um, he is on the fourth line and he's an important piece of that line and he's a great player and won the Stanley Cup. So it's all you can hope for with these guys is that they become contributors one way or another yeah i mean the uh colorado eagles are basically just gonna look like an ncaa all-star game out there right just <laughs> yeah they're gonna have a fun playoff run that's with all these guys coming in matt, right matt steinberg real quick a teammate of of malinsky at cornell he's an avalanche draft pick from 2019 he was 63rd overall that's a guy that they're uh, i think he was part of the duchene trade the 63rd pick from uh Ottawa, if I'm not mistaken, I, I would have to double check that. But regardless, Matt Steinberg is uh, joining the Colorado Eagles on a professional tryout as well. And he's expected to sign with the Avalanche in the coming days. They're negotiating a deal, so it's not guaranteed. But that's another free agent from Cornell, Molinsky's teammate that the Avalanche are looking to bring out of college and join him into the pros. Indeed, indeed. Right on. So, yeah, like I mentioned, it's just about getting playoff ready at this point, right? Yeah. The, the loss to Minnesota stings a little bit, but more importantly was just the, the effort, the energy, the uh, lack of execution. So that's gotta be the focus for the Colorado avalanche moving forward here. And let's see if everything can get, I mean, not even like it's off the rails, but everything can get back on the rails here soon. Yeah. I mean, look, when you lose those tough games, you're going to treat them like everything is off the rails and the avalanche after Pittsburgh, what did they do? They went out and beat 
Arizona, then Arizona, then Anaheim, you know, easier teams, but you responded with three big wins. You want to do the same thing here. All you can do is play the schedule ahead of you. You can't choose to play Dallas after losing to Pittsburgh. It's not the opportunity or the, or uh, something that you can do. So they played the games ahead of them. They won all of them heading into a game against Minnesota. They lost that game. You got to respond here with some victories as well. I got to imagine there's less stars fans in ball arena than there were wild fans. Yeah, Minnesota Wild fans are well-traveled, and they've always had a ton here. So you knew going into that game, Wednesday night, TNT, with all the all the marbles on the table for that game, that there was going to be a lot of Minnesota fans, and there sure as hell was. Indeed, indeed. Well, here's a good place to uh, pause for the day. We'll be back on Sunday for yep. our typical Sunday show and see how uh, we navigate the final eight games here of the season. So thanks for hanging out with us today. Don't forget about our partners at Superbook Sports. Obviously, great odds boost and promos over there. So if you made it this far in the podcast, bless your pretty little heart. Let's make hockey for everyone. We got you.